Today I want to talk to you about the right perspective. Grab your notes out, grab your pens, grab your Bibles. A good friend of mine, uh, James McPherson, relayed some of this information to me in Australia, and I want to relay some of it to you because I feel like today God could give us the right perspective for where we're going. It's kind of like where we've been. We honor that. We thank God for that. But where God is doing in front of us is going to be absolutely incredible. You believe that? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your faithfulness, that even when we were faithless, you remained faithful. And I pray that over the next few moments we have together, that you'd speak vision, breathe life. I pray for laughter. And uh, Lord, I thank you that your word will direct our steps. We love you, Jesus. And everybody shout a good 15-year amen. God has a destination, but he also has a process. Say that out loud with me. God has a destination, but he also has a process. Again, God has a destination, but he also has a process. As a church, our, our goal, our hope is that we can take you on a spiritual journey. This is part of the process to help you get to where God wants you to go. James, the half-brother of Jesus, comes along and he writes, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Knowing something, there's... There's something that you need to remember, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then it says, let perseverance finish its work. I wonder how many people have not made it to their destination because they refuse to allow God to finish his work in them. I wonder how many of us are frustrated, feeling like we ought to be further along than we are, and yet we have, we have cut too many classes. Anybody cut classes when you were young? If your kids are here, I give you permission to lie. <laughs> not, not me. Not me. He goes on to say, let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature and complete and lacking nothing. How many want, want to be mature? How many want to be complete? How many would like to lack nothing that God has for you? Come on. My wife says this, that, that age does not bring maturity. There's a lot of grown folks that do not possess maturity. A lot of 40-year-olds still playing video games in their mother's basement. Just because they're 40 doesn't mean anything. they still acting like a teenager. Some 60-year-olds. Somebody said 52 years old. Start a small group. 60-year-olds still in the club. At some point, we need to realize that age does not equate maturity. If you want to be mature, it comes through a series of passing tests. Just because you're 21, 18, 40 doesn't mean that we are grown. It means that we are older. Older does not always equate mature. Maturing comes from passing tests. And I'll prove it to you. Like, none of you just got a degree in college. You actually had to go through a series of tests to earn that degree, to get to a place where you can walk across the stage and get a diploma. And in life, we all want maturity, but we don't want any tests. We actually complain about tests. We pray that tests go away. We ask that nobody else would test us, and we say, don't test me. We had a great series like that a few months ago, and I want to help you understand that you cannot get to your destination without a process. I like getting to destinations, but I don't like to fly. 
I'm not like Mr. T, don't like to fly, where you have to trank me, but I don't like the, the process of flying. It's not fun to me. It's not something that I enjoy. And I know how to be impressed. Like we're 30,000 feet in the air sitting on a chair. That's impressive, but I'm not impressed. Because how many, how many, how many hate flying, like the process? It's just not, it's not, a, it's not something you look forward to. Like, ooh, I get to fly again. I want to get to the destination to see my friends. Like I just got back from Australia speaking at a conference in a few churches, and I loved it. I loved getting there. I loved seeing the friends. I loved seeing the churches and the growth there. That's just a great day. But I didn't like the process of flying because you get in, and you sit down on this plane. After you've waited an hour to board, then you get on the plane. You sit in a plane seat that is way too small. Come on, talk back to me. And they're like, no, don't worry. You can recline your chair. Let me tell you what reclining means. Reclining in an airplane means you go from this position to this position. That's it. And you get so frustrated. Like, you're pressing the button. You're trying to force it backwards. It's so irritating. And then the guy, even though it's only two inches, the guy in front of me, when he puts his chair back, I get angry. I know it's his right. I know he paid $100 for his flight, a couple hundred dollars for his flight. I know he deserves that. But when he does, everything inside of me wants to push his chair. It's like, get out of my space. And then... You have to go to the bathroom? Good luck with that one. Because you go to this bathroom that's too small for any human being. You know what I'm talking about? You get up there, and it's just so, it's so small, it's so tiny. And I'm not a giant. I'm 6'1". I'm not a Sasquatch. I'm not like, you know, walking, hobbling through the center aisle like boom, 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 knocking trays over and scaring kids. Me want the toilet. I mean, that's not me. I'm an average-sized guy. And I can't fit in those bathrooms, let alone, like, either way, this way or this way. I walked into one bathroom, no joke, I have a picture because I was so ridiculous. I walk in, and the ceiling is at an angle, it's at an incline, I'm like, I'm like this. I take a picture, I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is absurd. I'm 6'1", I'm an average-sized guy, and, and the ceiling's like five foot three. Like, what were they expecting? Like, what is this, a... Is this a kid's fort from Ikea? They expect us to crawl in and do your duty? This doesn't make any sense. And apparently, the people who designed the plane never anticipated somebody of my stature ever using their facility. I looked it up last night. I was curious. How much does it cost to build a plane? You ever thought about that? I'll tell you how much. $367 million. That's how much it costs to build a 747. $367 million. You're telling me that you couldn't spare a couple extra hundred dollars to raise the roof a few inches? Like, do you know how awkward it is trying to urinate in that position? It, I literally it was like this. Like, I'm not even sure if it's making it in there. Like, I hope it is. I don't know. Can you see? I can't see. Okay. And then the middle, the middle seat is the worst. Oh, any seat's tight, but the middle seat is the absolute worst. You're sitting there, and I, one time I sat by two grown men, like massive guys. They look angry already. They probably would use the bathroom already. And they both have their arms on the armrest next to them. So this guy has two armrests. This guy has two armrests. Sean has none. That's not fair. So about 30 minutes into the flight, I'm just, I'm waiting. I'm like waiting for an opportunity, like a praying mantis ready to pounce. As soon as he moved his arm to scratch his nose, I moved in. 
And then I just went to sleep. He finished scratching his nose, trying to come back. I'm like, it's too late, brother. I'm not moving. He, like, he, 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 he elbowed my, my, my elbow, and I didn't move. I left it there the entire flight. Four hours later, my arm is asleep. I don't care. I worked too hard for that. Like, there's nothing enjoyable about the flight. But I love getting to the destination. Many of us, we want a destination without the flight. We want maturity without a test, and it doesn't happen that way. God has a destination, but he also has a process, and you need to learn to have the right perspective in the process. Let me tell you a story in Numbers chapter 13. This is going to be a long passage of Scripture, probably, probably more than you've read all week. And I need you to stay focused. Sometimes you read a lot of verses, you start fogging out. Stay focused, okay? Stay focused on the verse. Numbers chapter 13. The context is God has a million and a half people, probably more than that, in slavery to Egypt, to a man named Pharaoh. They are the slave force labor. And they're being whipped. They're being beaten. They're forced to make bricks. And, and Moses gets a call from God, and God says, go let my people go. So he walks over. He's like, hey, God said, let his people go. And Pharaoh's like, you're smoking. There's no way I'm doing that. And God convinces him through a series of ten plagues, and finally they leave. Now they're on the precipice of the promised land. They call it a land flowing with milk and honey because it's, it's, it's an abundant land. So now they're there, 11-day journey, and verse 27 says, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you send us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And everybody's like, awesome. Here's its fruit. And they throw down some grapes. They're like, man, that's promised land grapes. Those are massive. But, everybody say, but. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, and they are very large, even saw descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites living in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Termites, every, everybody's there. <laughs> Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession right now. Who's with me? Yeah, and their response is kind of like yours. <laughs> what? what? We should do it right. God is with us. Let's go. Woo! Rally! Nobody responded. Matter of fact, they actually said they wanted to stone him in another passage. We should go do this right now. We can certainly do it. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Which I think they forgot that God was with them. Because how many know it doesn't matter how bad it looks, God plus anybody is always the majority. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report told everybody, and the land that they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Say devours. Wow. Remember that, or we'll come back to it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Really? Everybody? Everybody's massive. That's what they said. We saw Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak there from Nephilim, and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Watch this. Watch this. And we looked the same to them. How do you know? They didn't tell you that. That night, all the members of the country, of the community, raised their voices and wept aloud. Can you imagine just hearing the cries of people? They had so much hope that this was now going to finally be their freedom, their moment, their promised land. And now it's all gone. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and said to the whole assembly, If we had only died in Egypt, I would have taken dying in Egypt or dying in the wilderness, but this is ridiculous. Verse, uh, next verse says, 
Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives, our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Okay, listen to me, everybody. If you have the wrong perspective, it's going to affect your process, which will then divert your destination. If you have the wrong perspective, it's going to affect your process which will then divert your destination. You're not going to end up where you're supposed to end up. And remember, everybody ends up somewhere. A few people end up somewhere on purpose because many people don't like the process and they'll quit. Now, I want to encourage you with a couple points. Number one, write this down. Don't dwell on the difficulties. Don't dwell on difficulties. It's easy to do because our mind goes there very quickly. We see the problem We see what's wrong, and we start to mull on it, think about it. We dream about it. We make excuses. 120 words to describe the worst in our text about the land. Only 11 talked about how good the land was. No wonder they punked out. If 90% of the words that are coming out of your mouth are filled with doubt, complaining, and unbelief, you'll tap out too. Because what you dwell on determines what you dwell in. You're going to have to be a little louder today. It's 15-year anniversary. You're going to help me preach or not? I said, what you dwell on determines what you dwell in. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9 says this. Paul is writing. He says, hey, guys, there's a great and effectual door that's been opened to me. Like, God is opening up an amazing door. And there are many adversaries. And, and, and there are many adversaries. He didn't say but. Because but would insinuate that it can't happen. Like, there's a great door, but there's adversaries, so I guess it's not going to work out. He said the word and. There is a great door. It's an effectual door, and there's going to be some issues. There's going to be some problems. Have you ever had somebody come to you, and they try to talk you out of doing something, and they look at you and like, hey, you can't get a job there. That guy only hires men. And you're like, and? People come to us and say, Sean, there's no way you can get that orchard supply building. Staples won't say yet. And? Is there anybody that's ever come to you to try to talk you out of what you think God is calling you to, and there's something inside you that rises up and just says, and, and, what, like, what's your point? Turn and tell somebody, and? Come on, tell them, and? I'm here to encourage you today that if you're seeing some adversaries, I would say you need to start turning around and looking for an open door. It's a very good chance that the devil's been trying to attack you because he sees you as a threat, and I'm telling you, it just won't work, and? There's an open door. It's a great and effectual door. And there's going to be some pushback. Here's the question. Will you dwell on problems or promises? Because you'll have both. Which ones will you dwell on? You get to pick. And you, you, know, you need to know this, that just because the problems are there does not mean that God is not. There's going to be some problems along the way. There's been some problems along the way 15 years of building this church. There's been a few issues. And, 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 and God has gotten us to where we are because we've had a right spirit. I'm telling you, the right perspective. And, and I, I can't say I've always had the right spirit or the right perspective. Many times I just wanted to throw in the towel. Many times I was like, babe, they don't like me. I don't want to go back. She's like, you have to go back. You're the pastor. 
There's been a lot of that. And, 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 like, you need to know that just because problems are there doesn't mean that God's not. As a matter of fact, he, he loves taking those problems to show you how great he is so that he can build a story so that now other people can come to believe. There will be many adversaries. You have an adversary, but the Bible says in Psalm 23, he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I'm telling you, a table represents luxury. It represents a place of relaxing. It represents a place where you can enjoy and let your hair down and consume. You normally cannot do that with enemies around. Normally with enemies around, you're uptight. You're uneasy. You're out of breath. And you're anxious, but God comes along and says, no, I will prepare a table in the presence of your enemies because I am the good shepherd. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will make a way where there doesn't seem to be any other way, and I will fight your battles. So even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear because I am your God, and I am with you. Come on. There are enemies, and there's going to be some problems. And I'm still here. I'm still with you. Come on, I wonder, is there anybody that's grateful today? We have a God who is Emmanuel. He is still with you. Come on, clap your hands and thank God. So, do you dwell on your problems or the promises of God? Here's a deeper question. What do you talk about more? Do you talk about your problems or the promises of God more? Remember David and Goliath? If you grew up in church reading the Bible, you know this story. David comes walking down to deliver some sandwiches, some grilled cheese sandwiches to his brothers because his dad said, take some lunch to them. They're on the battlefield. Here they are against the Philistine army. They want to take all of Israel as slaves. This is a big battle. But there's a, they, they have a superstar MVP. His name is Goliath. And everybody's there, but he keeps punking him. So David comes down. He's like, what's up? What are y'all doing? Shut up, David. You shouldn't even be here. Give me my sandwich. They're like, eating the sandwich like, Dave, you don't understand. This guy's massive. He's a, he's a killing machine. He comes out every day, every day to punk us, and we, we're too afraid to go fight. And David's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? The Israelite army knew everything about Goliath. Read the story. They didn't just know that he had a spear. They knew how much it weighed, 15 pounds. They didn't just know he had armor. They knew how much it weighed. 125 pounds. They didn't just know he was a tall man. They knew how tall, over nine and a half feet tall. Why? Because they went in their little tents. They busted out their little laptops and typed in www.goliath.com. And they researched every detail. Listen to me. They were experts in describing the problem. Why is it that... So much of the time, we spend more time studying the problem than we do the promises of God. Psalm 16, verse 8 says this. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. My eyes, keep them on the Lord. Focus on the Lord. With him in my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. How many want to be secure? Well, that comes from having a glad heart. You want a glad heart? You need to be in a place where you're not shaken. You want to be in a place where you're not shaken? You need to keep the Lord always before you. You want to be secure? Well, that doesn't just take place. That doesn't just happen. It happens 
by keeping the Lord always before you. You can't have security if you are always keeping your problems before you. We will always have problems and we'll always have the promises of God. Here's the good news. You get to determine which ones you're going to magnify. You get to determine which ones you're going to focus on and dwell on. You get to pick. There's a great and effective door, and there's going to be some problems. There's going to be some adversaries. You pick which one you're going to magnify. And you can tell. You can tell, can't you? You can tell what people are doing. You can tell if they're dwelling and talking about the problems and, or dwelling on the promises of God. Here's why. Because it comes out of their mouth. David came down to his brothers like, this is ridiculous. There's a giant. There's no way we're going to win. There's, this is impossible. David walks out there with no armor and a slingshot and says, you come at me with a spear and a javelin and a sword? Goliath, I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Took his little slingshot, took a little rock, and threw that rock and hit him square in the face, knocked him out. And David walked over, took his own sword, and cut off the threat of the enemy and his head. Now he's picking up the head, taking headshots for Instagram selfie mode. Why? Because David wasn't focused on the difficulty. He was focused on how great his God was. He said, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be intimidated by this giant. I know in whom I believe. It comes out of your mouth. Don't dwell on the difficulties. Focus on God. Keep him always before you. Number two, don't dramatize your problems. Don't dramatize them. Oh, we're good at this. We're so good at this. Numbers chapter 13, verse 28 says, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. I don't know what they're feeding those corn-fed Canaanites, but they are massive. The cities are, are fortified, very large, very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Verse 32, not in your notes. He said, they're all massive. Every one of them, they're just, they're, just, they're bigger than we've ever thought. You know what happens when we dwell on our difficulties? We dramatize them beyond their actual size. They didn't just say, they got a couple big guys on their team. They said, everybody's big, everybody's a giant, they're all massive. And we start taking on that same attitude, don't we? Can't afford to. Oh, I can't afford to. Oh, I can't do that. I can't. There's no way. I'm not a good leader. I can't lead a small group. I can't join the church. I can't join the dream team. I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm sure Goliath got bigger every time they talked about him. Why is it? that we exaggerate our problems. I'll tell you why. Look at me. Why do we exaggerate our problems? I'll tell you why. Because it gives us an excuse to disengage and quit and not feel guilty about it. There's no women out there. There's no men. They're all dogs. So now you disengage. There's no jobs out there. No jobs. Really? Nobody's hiring. No. No jobs. No jobs. Whatever it is. I can't follow God. No, no. Can't use me. And we disengage. We quit. But we don't want to feel guilty about it, so we exaggerate the problem. It was, listen, in their text, they said it was a land flowing with milk and honey. A few verses later, they said, nope, it's a land that devours. We can't. We can't do that. God he just, he just had 10 plagues come on your captors, and you saw it. For 400 years, your people have been in slavery, and you walked out with more than you had. You took some of their stuff. 
like, when you were leaving. That's what y'all would. And now you come to the promised land. You see how good it is, but now you're going to make excuses because you want to disengage and quit but not feel guilty about it. Can't follow God now. It's too big. It's a land that devours. This marriage is no longer a marriage that's blessed by God. It's a problem too big to fix. Disengage, quit, don't want to feel guilty about it. Interesting, the Israelites did not say, hey, they got three big guys. We got like 100,000 medium-sized guys. I think we could take them. Nope, that's not what they said. They're all massive. They're all giants, every one of them. Why, why do we view God's promises as impossible? We always view God's promises as impossible. Have we forgotten that what is impossible with man is possible with God? Have we forgotten that nothing is too hard for our God? Have we forgotten that Ephesians 3.20 says to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above all we could ask, think, or imagine according to the power of God that works inside of us? I love that verse because it's not just exceedingly, it's abundantly. It's not just abundantly, it's above. It's not just what you could ask, it's what you could think. Not just what you could think, it's what you can imagine. God is trying to communicate to you. I want to work, work my power through you, but I need you to step out of that funk. Yeah. Think that you can't do this. What do you dwell on? What are you speaking about? Because I'm telling you today, you'll dramatize your problems and you'll quit just because you don't want to feel guilty. Number three, if you don't have the right perspective, you'll diminish yourself. You'll diminish yourself. They said, we seem like grasshoppers to who? In our sight. Look at this verse. In our own eyes. This is not humility. This is discouragement. This is not saying, you know what? We just, it's just me. This is like, we're, we're nothing. We cannot do this. Even though God was with us, there's no way. And we start adapting the, whole, the same attitude. We say, man, it's never going to happen. Can't afford to. There's no way that I could lead. i got a lid on my leadership. I'm not a good leader. And we diminish both ourselves and our future. It's honey, I shrunk the kids all over again. Except we shrunk more than our kids. We shrunk our calling. We shrunk our potential. And we've shrunk our value. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, stop speaking down on yourself. Speak up. Get your head up. He is the lifter of our head. He is our shield. He is everything that we need. Speak up. Faith up. Man up. Woman up. It's time, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. At some point, you need to say what God says. I know who you are. I know who I am in you. God, I know you want us to use us to change the world. So I'm going to speak that out. Don't diminish yourself in your eyes. Know who God is and know who you are in him. Number four, if you have a wrong perspective, you'll discourage others around you. They, the Bible says that they had a bad report slip through the congregation, and everybody said, we can't do it. And now they want to stone the preachers, and they all wept aloud that night. Let me ask you a question. Would it be good for everybody to catch what you have? I don't mean like you're cold. I mean your spirit. Your attitude the way you respond. Would it be good if everybody talked like you? Would it be good if everybody responded like you? How, how do you make people feel when you walk in a room? How do you make your spouse feel? I'll just tell the truth. No, I'm not asking that. How do you make them feel? How do you make your kids feel? 
How do you make your parents feel? How do you make the small group feel? How do you make the room? When you walk into the room, what happens to everybody else? As Proverbs 17 says, a cheerful heart is good medicine. I love that verse. Watch this. Watch this. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones on the inside. There are people that walk into a room, and when they walk in the room, they light up a room. You want to be like you're trying to figure out how to get out of your conversation so you can go talk to them. And then there are other people who walk in a room, and when they walk in a room, you walk the other way. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? Don't look at anybody. Don't do, don't do that. Why? Because when they talk to you, they dry up your bones. You feel like you should be getting extra credit in heaven when you, like, God, I talked to them for 30 minutes. That's another room in my mansion. EGR, EGR, extra grace required, people. We need some. And they don't talk, do they? They don't talk. They just vomit. They just come up to you, and you know it. You know it's coming. You know it's coming. Had a great day, and here they are. And they don't have anything encouraging to say. Nothing positive comes out of their mouth. They find out everything that was wrong with the service. They find out everything that was wrong with the dinner, everything that was wrong with the job, everything that's wrong with their, everything that's wrong. I'm telling you, when you have a wrong perspective, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to discourage others around you. I'm not saying that you can never have a bad day. We all have bad days. We all have bad seasons. And if that's the case, you need to get into a small group. Let Jesus and some other friends heal your heart. But I'm saying that shouldn't be your go-to attitude anymore. You ought to remember, ladies and gentlemen, what God does. He's done so much in your life. We don't need more Eeyores. I don't think it's ever going to happen. It's going to cost too much. I don't know why anybody doesn't like me. We need some Tiggers to come through the church. <laughs> we can do this. The Bible says you're more than a conqueror. Come on. Number five. If you have the wrong perspective, you end up denying your destiny. You end up denying your destiny. Okay, listen. Twelve spies went in to discover and, like, spy out the land. How many spies? How many spies? How many spies? If you grew up in church, you can name two. Who are they? Joshua, Caleb. Okay, listen to me. You can't name the ten. Why? Because nobody builds a monument to critics. Thank Abe Lincoln for that one. We name our sons Joshua and Caleb. These other guys, we don't even know their names. But if you study their names, they had amazing names. One name was Judge. Strong. Another guy, he has another, like their names, he has another name. It is, what is his name? It's Fortunate. That's a great name. Here's one. Another guy, his name means attack of the almighty. Strong. Can you imagine your mom calling you that? That must have been some labor. <laughs> what do you want to call it? Attack of the almighty. I don't know how it happened. But watch this, watch this. All of these guys had great names, and yet they saw themselves as grasshoppers because the circumstances seemed bad. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what it seems. It matters what God said. 
At some point, you need to say what God said. Some of you need to go home and ignore how it seems and rehearse what God said in your life. He said you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. He said that old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He says he's a redeemer, a restorer. He is your safe refuge. Come on, what did he say? What did God say about you? Because if you don't understand what God's trying to do in the process, you will deny your destiny. And this, and then you'll want to go back. Numbers 14, verse 4 says this. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. What? I want, what, what idiot was it that raised his hand in front of the church and said, I got, I got an idea. Rally everybody, let's choose a leader, and let's go back to slavery. Like, remember how they killed the children, and, and they put chains around our necks, and they treated us like dogs and animals? Those were the days. <laughs> At least we knew what to expect. And what type of reception were they expecting from Pharaoh and Egypt? Knock, knock. Who's there? Um... <clears throat> It's us. You know, the, the Israelites. Remember the ten plagues? <laughs> yeah, that was our bad. But we're, we're back now. What did they think was back there for them? What do you think is back there for you? They were going to go back to slavery? Back to brick making, to the whips and the chains. This is really on the table right now. This is a viable option. And in the same way, ladies and gentlemen, don't glorify your past. We can't go back. Why would we go back to what God has brought us out of? You want to go back to the depression, back to the suicidal thoughts, back to the emptiness? We can't go back. Why would we go back to what God freed us from? What is in front of you is so much greater than what is behind you. Come on. Can't go back. Let's look forward. Let's press forward. Let's move forward. Let me end with this. Numbers 14 says, but my servant, Caleb, has a different spirit. He follows me wholeheartedly. So I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. It's going to affect generations in his life. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones to make it in eventually because they had a different spirit. Listen, I understand you're not responsible for what happens to you, but you can be responsible for the attitude and the spirit that you carry and how you respond. Let's commit to having a different spirit. God has done so much over the last 15 years, and I believe with all of my heart that he wants to do something amazing, and we can all say together, Lord, I know there's some giants in front of us, but I know who you are, I know who we are in you, and we choose today to have a different spirit. I choose to be a leader and to focus on the promises of God and not the problems that are in front of us. Let's all go in together and possess everything that God has for us to get in Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it, let's clap our hands and say a good amen today.